What is going on, everybody? It is Maddie here today with episode 232 of the Ham Radio Podcast. I hope each and every single one of you out there giving me your time today are doing well. It is just myself once again for this show. I do apologize. We had a guest lined up. Carrick was going to be on the show, but within five minutes of the show actually being recorded, pretty much everything collapsed. Carrick backed out, and then our guest intern also backed out, and we are rescheduling for next week. And originally, I was just going to can the episode for this week, but I think it's unfair if I decided to do that because there is an expectation. We are very consistent with this show. We really never miss a beat and I don't think it's fair for the audience to suffer because some things behind the scenes got a bit chaotic. So I wanted to make sure I got this episode out for you guys. This is going to be a bit more of a free flow conversation. That was the initial plan from the start. We're going to be talking about the game awards, state of play, the announcements that came from both. And I'm going to be really basing a lot of the conversation off the patron questions because much like with my last solo episode, I felt there was a good flow there because there was an actual conversation conversation going on. It's just that there wasn't like a second person talking in the podcast. It was more so a dialogue between me and the listeners. And we got excellent feedback on that episode. And I was really happy with it because you never really know with solo shows, right? Like I know a lot of people listen for Carrick. A lot of people listen for me. A lot of people listen for Lone, for Noah. And we've had so many different voices coming in and out of this show that I know everyone has different preferences. So I'm always honored when you guys give me a chance, even if it's hosted on my channel, to listen to just me, right? Like, it's pretty awesome. So anyway, if you're new here, this is your first time listening to the show. We go live every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, as well as Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcast apps, so you can listen there for free. If you want to support the show, it's totally optional, but you can get early access for a buck. You get it on Friday evenings, at least on Eastern Standard Time. Um, It might be different depending on where you are in the world. But anyway, I provide an audio version of early access for the podcast. A buck more will get you early access to the other podcasts I run with my girlfriend, Laylee, BFGFAFK. It's an open book show where we tackle important topics and just give our honest perspectives about them. So sometimes it's more serious where we talk about procrastinating goals in one of our more recent episodes. But this week, we just talked about holiday traditions. So we took the a little bit of a break from the more serious stuff, talked about something more fun like getting into the spirit and uh, what puts us in that place. So it's a really fun show. I've enjoyed it so much. I'm kind of structuring it in a way that now that I have 200 plus episodes of podcast experience under my belt, her and I are able to approach this show differently and start to grow it. We're really seeing that over time. It's a slow growth, but it's still growth and I'm really proud of it. So you guys can get early access for both those shows on the Patreon. If that's not your speed and you want to go ahead and just wait, that's fine. Both shows are available for free. And a dollar after that, $3, will get you access to the Discord where you can hop in, join the conversation, and of course, submit questions for both these podcasts, be involved. And and it's just created a really tight-knit community where we recognize each other, we know our pros and cons and uh, what, we, what we like and dislike. I think that's great. So um, we're going to start this off with Snork the Defeated, who had a question for Carrick, but since I've been looking into VR a little bit, I figured I could make a recommendation or two. Um, he asked, this is a question for Carrick. I'm getting an Oculus Rift and Asgard's Wrath for Christmas. What other games would you quickly recommend? Um, I'm actually looking into getting an Oculus Rift S for Christmas as well. Um, my suggestion, of course, outside of Asgard's Wrath would probably be Boneworks. I've heard good things about I heard it was a little gimmicky, but still, it looks really good. Um, Vader Immortal, I think it was called. It's the Star Wars VR game. That one looked really cool. Um, I've heard that's oh man it's something in sorcery 
Uh, it's a it's a just a arena combat game, but you can mod it and you can put like Star Wars powers in there and lightsabers in there. If you couldn't tell, I like lightsabers and Star Wars, so uh, just know that. But there are a lot of great VR games coming around. Of course, I'm sure that you're investing now because Half Life Alex is on the way too. So do keep your eyes on that. I imagine any VR owner is looking at that game. But yeah, there there are a couple of suggestions for you. And um, yeah, with that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into the Game Awards. So I made a dedicated video to this. That's why this episode did almost get scrapped, right? Because like I already made a video giving pretty extensive thoughts on everything I liked and disliked about the Game Awards. So that's why I wanted to base it off what a lot of you were saying and also what my other co-hosts were going to be saying. So we'll start off with Crazy Herb. He's asking about Hellblade 2. For those who don't know, Hellblade 2 was revealed alongside the brand new Xbox at the Game Awards. Really strong start. And if you guys don't know, I made a review for the first Hellblade. And in the subtitle for it, like I put with every review, it's usually to give like a quick uh, idea of what I'm kind of gauging towards with the game, whether it's really good, really bad, or um, something thematic, something along those lines. I said for Hellblade, this is why we play games. And maybe I should have said this is why I play games, because it was excellent combat, excellent set pieces, a really good touching story, uh, mental health initiative, focus. I, I really liked everything about Hellblade. Uh, one of my very favorite games from the year it released, which I am not remembering right now, but not a huge commitment, by the way. It's about like a five, six hour game. So if you're interested in the first Hellblade, uh, it's great. It's now available on all consoles, whether it's PS4, PC, uh, Xbox, you can get it on Switch now. Uh, the game is so, so good. And Crazy Herb asked us, do you think Hellblade 2 will be open world? I personally hope not. Yeah, I, I wonder about that too, because the cinematic trailer sort of portrayed it as this very big world and everything collapsing on her. And, and like we know about the first Hellblade, a lot of it was very focused on mental health. So was it symbolizing like the world was so big and empty and everything's coming down on her in this one centralized area? Or was it symbolizing an open world? I do think the game, quite honestly, crazier, could have benefited from being a little more open. Obviously, they were working with a budget. It was a $20 game. So I liked what Hellblade did, but I'm very curious to see what they do with a bigger budget. Because I think the combat could have been a little more expansive. I think the world could have been a little more open to explore. So I think that the title can benefit from the extra budget in that way. I don't think they're going to go truly open world. That doesn't seem like a good fit, at least on paper. You know, we don't know what the idea of the developers currently is. But at the same time, like a couple of hub areas that are more open, I, the game definitely needs to open up more is what I'm getting at. So I don't think it will be fully open world, but that is just personally my take. Overall, though, I'm very excited to see that game. I did not think they would announce it so soon. I think it's because a lot of people were saying at E3 that Xbox kind of dropped the ball in the terms of announcements between that and the inside Xbox 2019, like the first game they showed from Obsidian as a, a, a studio underneath Microsoft was not the Outer Worlds. That was still when before Obsidian got acquired or it was in the midst of that acquisition. Um, I think actually it was really soon after the fact. So everyone knew, you know, this wasn't like a Microsoft deal. It was sort of separate, uh, but it was Grounded, which Grounded looks interesting, but it's like a 13-man project. It's a passion project. It's very inspired by the likes of Fortnite. Definitely not what you expected. And then, um, of course, the creators of Hellblade, were, uh, Ninja Theory, were working on um, another sports kind of fighting game, like a hero fighting game. Uh, the name doesn't come to my head right now. But people were kind of worried where Microsoft was devoting assets to. And it seems like, don't worry, Hellblade 2 is on the way. I was a little surprised by that. I didn't know if Ninja Theory would do another IP or if they would continue on with Hellblade. But they seem to want to do that. And I think that's really good. 
Um, this week, we also got the announcement of a brand new Bioshock game. And as you guys know, I was really excited about that. Um, it seems like it's going to be interesting. I remember the combat designer I highlighted in my news update video. Um, I had said that uh, he was returning from, I forgot what studio he was at. I think he worked on Arcade for a little bit. Uh, but he came back to from Irrational he was originally at. He came back to work on the Bioshock franchise to direct the combat. And he doesn't ever really tweet according to his Twitter account. But he had said something along the lines of like, this is the most excited I've been outside of any project I've worked on to show people what we're doing here. And uh, I've worked on a lot of projects I'm proud of being like Bioshock 1 and Infinite. So uh, that's pretty much a, a very bold claim. Um, there's been a lot of excitement around it. But we also now, it's coming back differently. Once again, had dedicated videos to this this week. Um, we talked a little bit about how there's a possibility of monetization or live service implementation into the newest Bioshock because they were hiring endgame specialists for narrative stuff. Um, they also have multiplayer that's going to be in the game because they were doing hirings for that. So two things that are not really assimilated often with Bioshock are going to be there. The endgame is a little less familiar. We did see multiplayer in Bioshock 2. So let's get into Grade A51, who asks, Maddie, with the disappointing news about the future of the Bioshock franchise chasing after live services, do you have any recommendations for similar types of classic Bioshock single-player narrative focuses, games that come out over the past couple of years or will release in the next year or so? Oh, man. Very, very broad question. Um, keep your eye on the, the kickstarted System Shock. Um, I forgot when that's coming out. I think it's sometime next year. Chris Avalone's working on it uh, for the writing aspect. So it does have some good talent behind it. It looks great. I actually backed it on Kickstarter. Um, so that would definitely be the most akin to Bioshock. I think actually Bioshock was inspired by System Shock. So um, that is probably number one priority. First example you should go to. But single player narrative focuses or games that have come out over the past couple of years. Um, you could go to Greedfall. It's not like Bioshock, but it is single player narrative focused. Uh, it's an RPG, of course. And... Um, that, that is one that has no multiplayer integration, uh, just straight single player, and it's really fun. It's, it's a really enjoyable story, uh, good choices throughout, and it's spiders at their very best, a, a company that's always presented really good ideas but never quite executed on them. They finally did a good one here with Greedfall, so that's one as well. Um, yeah, Bioshock's more associated with Utopia or... Um, yeah, utopian experiences. So, man, I would say We Happy Few would be a good match, but I really didn't like that game. Uh, I don't want to steer you down the wrong path. It is, once again, a very Bioshock-inspired game, um, but it, it just wasn't... It had such a cool universe, but if you can tolerate procedural generation, uh, if you want to do some research on some of the patches and see if the game got any better since its launch, they just recently released, like I'm talking very recently released in the last couple of months, uh, DLC for the game. So there is that. Um, and yeah, those are just a, a handful of suggestions that you could look into as someone who's looking for something akin to Bioshock. So do with that what you will. You also want to talk about Ghost of Tsushima. So that was uh, the largest world premiere, according to Jeff Keighley, of the entire show, understandably so, because Ghosts of Tsushima was just off the radar for a really long while. People thought it might have gotten canned or it was a development hell, and I think there were some development struggles, but when it came back, 
it looked even better than what we first had seen, which is great. Uh, Sucker Punch is a very talented developer. I do hope one day they go back to Sly Cooper or someone's working on Sly Cooper because that's one of the only franchises, by the way, that went from another developer. Like they started off with Sucker Punch and they went to Sanzaru with Sly 4. And I thought that Sly 4 was actually better than Sly 3 and uh, and also Sly 1 technically. That's just my hot take. I know not a lot of people will agree with that, but one of the few times that there's been a good developer transition, so maybe Sly is just a, a blessed franchise and, and they can get a Sly 5 with someone else and have them do it right, or maybe they'll reboot Sly Cooper. Who knows? But anyway, Ghost of Tsushima looked really good. It was really gory. Um, we don't know what the combat's going to be like. Is it going to be like a hack and slash? Is it going to be easy? Uh, is it going to be like Sekiro? Because if they try to do what Sekiro's doing, I don't have the most confidence because Sekiro is such like a finely crafted experience, right? Like you can't really try to... It's like every type of Souls game, right? Like you can only try to mimic. You can't replicate though. Like you can't do what the Souls games do. Some of them do a good job. Like we'll say The Search 2 excellent game in the terms of level design very reminiscent of the souls titles but yet a lot of its combat and its approaches to its systems are very unique to its own franchise that make it stand out that's how you do it anyway grade 8 51 says that ghost of tsushima new trailer looked nice but i would still uh like to see a decent length gameplay video i don't know what to really expect uh something more directed and narrative focused or something like spider-man ps4 which while very well executed had a lot of paint by numbers open world elements filling out the side missions, and the world. Thoughts or information? Yeah, so I didn't look too much in the Ghost of Tsushima just because I don't have a very vested interest in it as a creator. That's how I sort of base a lot of my uh, investigations. Obviously, I'll research as a fan. Like, for those who don't know, I, I play, like, a ton of Japanese-style games. Like, I like Danganronpa, so I'm a huge fan of uh, Kazutaka Kodaka. And, um, like, he just announced that he's doing a, a full-motion game, and they're also doing Death March Club. That was announced recently, a while ago, rather. Um, and that's coming out sometime early next year. So like, I'll pay attention to those games, even if like it has no uh, interaction with my channel. But in the terms of Ghost of Tsushima, like it's a big AAA game that has no impact on me. So I want to play it, but I'll just play it probably as a fan. So I don't have information. But in the terms of the, the world, um, it does look very open. I will say that the last game that came from Sucker Punch, which was Infamous Second Son, I didn't really like. And that's kind of surprising for me to say. I've liked everything, literally everything that Sucker Punch has done outside of that game. But I thought Second Son was so lackluster. Like, I felt the gameplay lacked a punch. I did not like Delson. Um, the story was not as intriguing. Uh, there was just something missing there. Felt a little empty. And, I mean, granted, I liked something about it because I got the Platinum. I just didn't love it as much as other Sucker Punch titles. Um, so I do hope that they, they do this right. Uh, much like what I said with Sekiro, Ghost of Tsushima seems up my alley. You know, I love uh, like like Asian inspired stuff uh, like this. Uh, you know, the the world, um, the the combat. Like he's you know right in the beginning of the trailer, they're like samurai. You know, I love that type of stuff. So I'm really big on that. Uh, but I thought Sekiro was going to be a match made in heaven for me, and it it didn't click with me. I'm going to give it another try. You know, after seeing it win Game of the Year at the Game Awards, um, which by the way, well deserved, and congrats to From Software. I hope they are all doing well over there. Um, I, I just, I have to give it another try, but what I played, I didn't like, cause it felt, I'll explain one more time for me, the combat was very strong, but it was the, the dying and repeating of areas that did not age well for me, not in the terms of like a souls game, right? But with the way the levels were designed, there was a lot of stealth takedowns in certain areas. 
And for me, going through the same location like 40 times because I'm trying to like get to that point of understanding an, an enemy or uh, the proper way to explore a level um, to take someone out, you know, that's part of the experience. But when you're going through like a stealth area doing multiple stealth takedowns of the same enemies like five, six, seven times in a row, it got to the point where I said, all right, enough, I'm just done. Like I, this is not clicking with me. Um, I didn't care enough to get over that hump uh, to enjoy the game properly. Uh, like, you know, there, there's always a point in every Souls game where they, you know, they slap you on the wrist, slap you on the wrist, slap you on your wrist until you learn. Um, Bloodborne's moment was absolutely at the Cleric Beast, right? Like, it just, there were those two wolves in front of the Cleric Beast. I always remember, like, I finally got to them, and each time they just beat my ass into the ground. I'm like, man, how do you get by these guys and finally get by them, and you're met with the Cleric Beast, and that's the next challenge. And even that section with all of those creatures lying about that bonfire, uh, trying to pick that area apart before all that. I mean, yeah, that that's the point in the game. Like very early on, they're like, learn how to play the game. Be aggressive to steal life. So for me, ultimately what happened was I just didn't care enough about the game to get over that hump. And hey, even when I'm doing this solo podcast, dogs are still participating. Yay! Anyway, Ghost of Tsushima has a great chance to click with me, so fingers crossed on that, but based off what happened with Sekiro, we'll see if I like it a, another time around. I don't know if I'll get to it early on uh, in the holiday season or not, but we'll see. All right, let's move on to The Outer Worlds. So The Outer Worlds just got brand new DLC that was announced via the forums for Obsidian. Kylan521's question was about whether or not Obsidian would end up announcing uh, DLC, which funny enough, great timing for the show. Uh, it did happen, which is excellent. But we still can talk about his second question, which was the Outer Worlds did not win any awards at the Game Awards. Why do you think they did not take any awards home? Despite that, however, the Outer Worlds is still my game of the year. Uh, it's an interesting conversation to have about the Outer Worlds. I've noticed as time has gone on, more and more people have, uh, we'll put this in quotes, by the way, I'm not saying it, but like boldly stepped out, end quote, and sort of thrash the outer world for being a product of the past and i guess it depends on your perspective right like i look at it as yes it is very reminiscent of what we saw many years ago from older bethesda right with fallout 3 fallout new vegas that was a style of rpg that many of us myself included fell in love with so to see that return i don't understand why there's a conversation on that being an issue right i think the real conversation should be about how diverse are the choices in the outer worlds is the way the leveling system works like early on you're sort of a, a jack of all trades master of none the game has it structured that way until the end is when you start to round out your build um, and i don't know how well that really feels in an rpg i think the talk should be about that right i don't think anyone should be getting smeared for enjoying the nostalgia of a title can nostalgia sway you yes possibly but I think that sort of takes away from the fact that The Outer Worlds is a great game in many ways. Um, we haven't seen anything quite like it. And I think it sort of dilutes also the praise that, for example, a title like Disco Elysium could get, right? Like that's very reminiscent of isometric RPGs we've had in the past. Uh, it's approached much differently, by the way, much, much differently. But there are familiar elements there, just like with The Outer Worlds. There are familiar elements of something we've seen in the past with a fresh coat of paint and some new ideas sprinkled in. So I don't see why uh, a lot of people have started to kind of back up on The Outer Worlds, unless, you know, of course, there is proper critique there. That's not something I'll ever take away from anybody. Um, but I don't see why uh, the enjoyment of something that's sort of been reshaped from the past is a bad thing. So I think ultimately... What happened with The Outer Worlds is, number one, objectively speaking, everything on the list when it came to Game of the Year probably was a better contender than 
that title. You know, Resident Evil 2 was a much more complete experience. And The Outer Worlds, by the way, is one of my game of the years. It's, it's in my top two. Uh, but Resident Evil 2 was a much more complete experience. Sekiro has combat unlike any other game, and a lot of people did like the story, and FromSoft does build some really interesting worlds to explore, so there is that. Um, Control was another excellent game that, as we saw, that game took home a, a ton of hardware. Uh, Death Stranding is naturally in the conversation for doing something unique. So if you notice, there's sort of a trend with each of those games. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate also doing something really unique. Um, so when you look at it, The Outer Worlds is more of something we really loved in the past, and it's great to see that, but I don't think it's going to win Game of the Year because of doing something right from the past, right? A lot of those games in that conversation were celebrating new ideas. However, I was a little surprised that Parvati didn't win for Best Performance, uh, but then again, I have not seen how Mads did in Death Stranding. So I, I shouldn't use the word surprised. I'd more so use like, oh, wow, like I, I thought she she was beloved, man. Like I was, I, I saw more people praising her and her performance and, and the writing of that character uh, than Mads. Uh, so it was, I was a little, I was a little, I guess, caught off guard, if anything. Um, Best narrative, I don't think Outer Worlds fit there. Outer Worlds has a good story, like a, a good one, an interesting one. But like best narrative for me is, is, is sort of that like roller coaster ride of, of like, whoa, that just happened. Wait, oh my God, this person just died. Like, wait, hold on, what are they doing now? Oh my God, plot twist, like that type of stuff. And I don't think the Outer Worlds delivered a story like that. It just delivered something that kind of kept you going, kept you motivated to push forward. And I think that is one part of the game that will over time get dissected because, um, you always wonder with, for example, Phineas, like, is this guy going to turn on you? Is he really as good as he seems? He seems a little, little kooky and you learn a more, a little bit more about his past, but ultimately he's the, the good guy route, we'll call it. And, um, I, I will admit, even in my first playthrough, I found it a little surprising that Obsidian made him so one dimensional every step of the way, even though they, you can tell just as you play the game, the player's going to be unsure of Phineas and they should be. Right, I mean, you can turn him in like right away, which is what I was doing in my second playthrough. Um, but anyway, I think the Outer Worlds. That's why I didn't get any hardware. I don't think it takes away from anything because it's Obsidian being mentioned in this show and and in so many categories. I think it's a testament to how great the game is. I don't think there's anything wrong about being nominated and not winning. Uh, you're still in that conversation, and that's good for your game and good for your audience. Uh, let's move on to Ben Jam. So we talked about in the beginning of the Game Awards how there was a new Xbox revealed. So Ben Jam said, serious question. If PlayStation continues to beat Xbox this upcoming generation, do you think Xbox will shift their focus on making powerful generational consoles and instead throw all their money at getting more games for Game Pass and getting it on more devices? Personally, I am biased when I say that PlayStation makes better consoles, but I will say Xbox has a better game slash streaming service compared to PS Now. Really good question. A, a very proper conversation to be having at this point in time. Um, I don't think Microsoft will give up on the exclusive front, but I think they are, you can already tell, trying to push services because what's inevitably going to happen is Game Pass will come to Switch. I think that will become a streaming service that, that lands on Switch. I can see it right now, the little application on the Switch home screen. You click on it, it opens up the Game Pass library, and you can stream that. Um, to that device, sort of through the X Cloud. I, I think that would probably be uh, optimal for them. I think it would, you know, we've seen Microsoft and Nintendo sort of buddy buddy over the last number of months, so it just seems like a good fit. However, there was at one point, uh, Colin Moriarty had reported this and it got some traction. There were reports coming in that uh, 
PlayStation almost got the Halo Master Chief Collection. And I think if Microsoft even even considered that, I mean, that is probably, I'd say, the face of Xbox, right? Like, when I think old Xbox, I think of Halo 1 and 2. When I think of 360, I think of Halo 3, Reach. When I think of Xbox One, I don't really think of Halo now. But I'm just saying that Halo is a flagship. And to even remotely consider putting it there shows Microsoft's openness, shows their boldness. But I think it means nothing's off the table. So I would not be surprised even if they find success, right? Like even if Microsoft says like, all right, we're dominating Sony this generation. Why not get more money? Put your services on their platform. You know, that, that's what I'm, I'm seeing. Uh, I don't think Microsoft will come out and just beat the snot out of Sony because it's not even close in the terms of established exclusives. Like Obsidian did so much footwork this generation. They, they established so many great IP just banger after banger it's it was crazy levels of consistency so i just look at and by the way this isn't even considering like third-party things such as godfall which was revealed at the game awards 2019 that looks to be playstation exclusive that's a third-party exclusive hello and that game looks great so all i'm saying man is playstation's eating them up and it's going to be tough to compete with so xbox just needs to be in the talk right like they just need to do what they can best with the studios they have which are very talented studios i think obsidian's their very best quite truthfully uh, in the terms of talent diversity and something that can really propel the xbox i think that'll be huge for them to get obsidian's AAA rpg out there and i can't wait to see that get revealed by the way but yeah i think xbox is ahead as well in streaming services um, but PlayStation leads the charging games. And I think it's exciting to know that each console has their own set of strengths and weaknesses because it makes the conversation a little easier to dissect and a little more fun to get into. So uh, thank you, Ben, for, for the fantastic question. He also asks, since the Game Awards were last night as of the time of recording this, uh, my other question is, if you could make a whole new category for an award, what would the category be and who would your nominees be? Oh, man. Let me take a sip of water while I think about that. That's tough. Hmm. There was last two weeks ago, there was a good category idea I had. Oh, man. Hmm. Could do like best handheld experience. That'd be interesting, uh, I guess, because you could do mobile and Switch games. Um, some Switch games I feel play better in handheld, but that is a very personal thing on my end. Um, someone had a funny idea of uh on my stream last night saying like what if they had just highlighted like worst games of 2019 i think that'd be interesting because then you just you know you're fighting for the idea of not being like put on the spotlight for stinking but uh, it's a little cruel and it's about celebrating games not putting them down so there is that um hmm that's a tough question i might have to circle back to that if it comes to me all right ben appreciate the the thoughtful question though um so let's hear from snork once again what did you guys think of the nominees for each main genre category i see a lot of discourse over game of the year and several other announcements personally i can look at 10 different games off the top of my head that all deserve to win game of the year it was just an amazing year for games yeah uh, i think the arguments are are healthy because it just means that everyone liked something and they want it to be represented i think that's what more people care about they don't care what wins no one really i don't want to say no one but a lot of people don't watch for the winners they watch for the announcements 
And so I look at it and think most people just want their game to be represented. Like I got pumped when I saw Astral Chain in the action category and the idea of it winning, it's like, yeah, it's a win for me. Like, even though it's not, it's a win for the team. Uh, and in overall, it's still a win for the, for gaming in general, no matter what. So I think people just want to be represented with what they like. I think that's what matters to a lot of folks. Um, cause a lot of people just like die on a sword for their games. Really? Uh, another question from Snork is also one more question. What do you guys think of Microsoft kind of stealth revealing the Series X and Halo or Halo Hellblade 2? That's uh, that was just awesome that it wasn't leaked ahead of time. It was also surprising. Uh, what do you think of the design? I think if you really enjoy video games, all you should really care about is the games play well. But hey, that's just me. I agree with you. I don't care what it looks like. I was uh, during the stream, though, looking at my um, my entertainment center and I was just like, where am I going to find room for that giant thing? Like, the beauty of these consoles have been that I can slide them in a shelf, that I can place them at the top of the entertainment center, and they're these nice rectangles. This thing is huge. And I'm just like, dude, where am I going to fit this? So we're going to have to find a way. I don't know what I'm going to do because I barely squeezed my PC in between my entertainment center and my desk. And now you're telling me I'm going to have a, a tall Xbox Series X tower. Maybe you could put it sideways, but even then, I don't know, man. I'm looking at it now and I'm having like an existential crisis. This is ridiculous. There is there is not enough room for this thing. Holy smokes. Um, I think it was a great stealth reveal, though. Really weird of Microsoft in one manner. I forgot to mention this when we were first talking about it. Think of it this way. They chose to unveil their console in an area where they could only talk about it for about five minutes. They couldn't go in on specs. I doubt they would have gone in on price anyway, but they couldn't talk more about games, what there was to offer. They just wanted to put a name to it and a, a vision to it. And I think it's exciting. We we have an official name now. And, and some people have had thoughts on that name. I don't really care. It's just, you know, I, I care. Like like uh, Snork had said, and like I agree, I care about the games. I don't care how it looks. You know, a lot of people are like, God, man, I really hope the PS5 doesn't look like that dev kit. I don't care. What does it look like on my screen? <laughs> that's what I think about. So that's just me. Snork seems to agree. Let's talk to Rick Danger, the Dick Ranger. Whew, what a name. He got involved in the uh, the BFGFAFK and, and Laylee got a kick out of that one. So thank you for having a funny name. All right. How do you guys feel about getting, uh, or sorry, I misread that. How do you guys feel about the line getting even blurrier between consoles and PCs with how the new consoles are using modified off the shelf PC hardware and games like Modern Warfare and Fortnite allowing console players to use keyboard and mouse? I feel like we are getting closer to a complete conglomerate of game hardware that is same but different. Uh, yeah, the games industry has been heading this way for a while where uh, video games are going to be what differentiate the consoles. I think we're going to start to see a similarity in power. Uh, it's going to start to level the, level the playing field. And so it's going to be about those exclusives and those services, right? A lot of people always put those in the background, but those services are huge because eventually if all these platforms are at relatively the same power, then all that matters is what you can play on there. And if you can access a ton of third-party stuff, which by the way, one more time, PlayStation purchased a game a third-party game for exclusivity whether it's timed or not we don't know but playstation did that that is what's going to pull people in and i think that's very telling of what the future of gaming is looking like if one of the first ps5 games revealed is third-party exclusive just keep your eyes open 
Overall, though, I think it's great that the lines are being blurred because eventually we're going to get to a place where I can hop on PlayStation, someone can hop on Xbox, we can just talk in the same party chat. I'm hoping that Discord becomes an app on PlayStation, becomes an app on Xbox, and then I can talk to people from a whole range of areas. Because as someone who uh, does the occasional patron gaming session, a lot of times we do it on the Switch and like Smash Bros. Ultimate because it's easy just to hop in a lobby, call it a day. And I want that relative ease across all systems like i want to start a lobby in um i think you can do this but we'll say in call of duty i'll be on my playstation and someone on pc can hop into that lobby and someone on xbox can hop into that lobby let the competition be about the products right like about the games themselves that's what matters as far as i'm concerned and uh, i guess i've made that perfectly clear i just think it benefits both parties because it, it forces competition amongst services which lowers prices for consumers and makes people try to undercut one another until uh, one side overwhelms the other right i mean we have microsoft literally giving out game pass ultimate for when you first sign up for a dollar really like really hard to beat and i thought that was like an e3 exclusive deal it's still going on now really smart makes it hard to compete with when you're sony like if i i own a playstation i own an xbox and if I know I can sign up for a dollar and try out a bunch of games, you just sort of save that subscription until you find the right game. Like maybe The Outer Worlds was that game. I, I, I had a lot of people who told me they signed up for Game Pass because everyone who like would tweet at me saying like, I will play The Outer Worlds, but Epic Game Store. And I'm like, guys, Microsoft Store, pay a dollar. If you really don't want to give any money, pay a dollar, go on Game Pass, play it on PC, and then just delete your subscription. Call it a day. And so many people did it. So I think that's the benefit of it. I think enough money is flowing around the industry where we're able to make those types of consumer-focused choices. So ultimately, really, really good news. I needed a sip of this protein shake. You know, one of the things that, an unspoken pain of being a content creator, especially when you record videos and then you do a podcast, is you never shut up. And while a lot of people, when they talk a lot, their jaws start to hurt or get sore, I don't get that anymore. My head starts to hurt. I think it's because I'm not like taking a breath, which is why co <laughs> I swear, I'm not mad at Eric when I say this, but which is why co-hosts are so helpful. And don't worry, someone has a question about what I find annoying about Carrick. And I, I don't have one that's on my head right now because Carrick doesn't annoy me. And I'm very open when someone annoys me. So I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to think of something on the spot. That will be when I pick on Carrick. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. For now, Aunt Jemima wants to talk about UI. How do you think next-gen consoles will slash should improve their respective UIs? I'm personally hoping for Xbox in particular to have two layouts, one for controller and one for keyboard and mouse. Yeah, okay, so I really like the simplicity of PlayStation's UI. You know, it's just a, a bar left to right, and then you got tiles. Xbox just needs to be overhauled. I know you can customize it a little bit more. Boy, especially when that thing first launched. Good God. That thing was ugly. And I know, like I said, it's gotten a lot better. But it was so baked in that it took so many years to get it right. So I hope that Xbox just takes a look at what PlayStation did. Simple is good. Because once again, we turn on these things not for this bedazzled experience. We want to play a video game. We want to watch maybe a movie. So let us turn it on, find what we want, and go to it. Don't make separate tabs with the LBRB and then new pages underneath each tab. Just tiles left, right, up, down, call it a day. I don't care how similar both are. 
that would be ideal for me because the UI, it's not like it's confusing to navigate, by the way. It's just a pain in the ass. That's what I'm saying. It's just a pain in my ass. So I would personally prefer them to just overall simplify things. Yes, I think uh, respective layouts for depending on what your input is, is also good um, because, you know, as, as we just talked about from Rick Danger, um, we're, we're starting to see console players be able to use keyboard and mouse. So more and more people are going to be hooking that up because consoles are slowly going to be approached as uh, budget PCs. Eventually, we're going to start having parts being sold by Sony, by Microsoft to improve these consoles, if you will. You know, like essentially a PS4 Pro component that you can apply to your system on the inside, like maybe a new graphics, I'm sorry, new processor, whatever. Eventually, you'll be able to start installing parts in there and, and changing it up. To, to make your experience better, or you can just start off with what PlayStation provides and know that that will run games at a competent level. Once again, just like a budget PC. You know, I just bought a new PC uh, for my studio space uh, a couple of months ago, and it, it, exactly what I needed. It's just like, hey, can this thing render videos, play some games at medium settings? Is it future-proofed in some regard? Okay, perfect. Boom. There we go. Install. That's it. And uh, you call it a day. So I think that's what consoles are, are really heading for. But in the terms of UI... I agree, Anchamama. I would like some simplicity. All right, so we're going to go off the board a little bit here. We don't have a Game Awards question. We have one from Big Rat Boss. What is the worst game you've ever played that you saw enough good aspects in that you really wanted to love? So a good game, or a game that was so bad, but I wanted to love it. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Hmm. Instantly, I thought of Remember Me. Really cool world, interesting combat lab idea or combo lab idea. Story didn't really do it for me, kind of awkwardly paced. This was from Don't Nod, by the way, who, as I always say in my videos when I talk about Vampyr, they are pioneers of really good ideas and just not the best execution. Vampyr, much like what I said with Creedfall and Spiders, Vampyr was that game for Don't Nod, outside of, of course, Life is Strange, where it's like, yes, they they nailed it. Excellent. Um... So yeah, I, I think that would be my selection. Remember, remember me is is pretty ideal in that regard. I also think of Kingdom Hearts three, but I, I do stand by the fact that Kingdom Hearts three is a good game. Like I think it's actually a legitimately good game. You know, I know a lot of people don't like it and thought it was a letdown, and there are some areas that feel very old. Um, and, and even more people are on the hate train now because the Remind DLC is, I think, 30 bucks, and it looks to pretty much address like literally every complaint about the game. Where some people are going, "Oh, they're finishing the game a year later." I, I, look, I don't care. I mean, the game was good as was, and I'm happy to see more. And adding Final Fantasy characters is is most excellent in my book. So, uh, personally, I wouldn't include that there. So, I'll stick with Remember Me. I think that's a fair one. Really cool mechanics, but I just couldn't fall in love with it. I think it's underrated. I think like it's worth playing, but it could have been a million times better. So, Brendan Saint of Christmas asks, did you think we were going to get a Smash DLC announcement? If so... Who did you want it to be slash thought it was going to be? So I did expect a Smash DLC announcement. Not because a lot of people expected it because they did a DLC announcement last year. So they're like, oh, they're doing it again this year. That's so stupid. I don't know why people think that. I don't know why people think because one thing happened at one point in time. It's going to happen again. These are companies. They run on their own schedule. And if things line up, the stars align, boom, magic happens. So I don't know why people thought that, that Sakurai is going to hold back his DLC announcements for every December for the Game Awards. It's great that, that, that Jeff Keighley and Nintendo have this good relationship and that they do combine for reveals. 
but you know the, the game awards this year showed that you know it, it, they're a business they're they're going to do what they what they need for themselves first and so i don't know why people banked on a smash dlc announcement uh, if anyone follows wabi sabi on twitter he was deconfirming like left and right shit that was happening for smash really recommend you follow wabi sabi w-a-b-i-s-a-b-i pretty much you know if you want leaks that are accurate that is the place to go he was constantly covering fighter 5 stating who wasn't going to be there and eventually saying it's not happening at the game awards, even though there were other trusted leakers, I put that in quote, who were saying it was going to, and he ended up being right. It did not happen. And I trusted him personally because he leaked like literally all of E3 2019, like all of it, all of it. Like my friends and I joke about it all the time. Like that man literally reported everything that was happening at E3. I don't know who his sources are, but it's nuts. It is actually nuts. So yeah, man, uh, I didn't expect a Smash DLC announcement. I was hoping for it, though, I, you know, because there there is the chance that people could be wrong. And if it was going to happen, pardon me, I was looking for Master Chief. Master Chief was who I wanted. Um, I think it just makes sense. Microsoft, Nintendo, close. Xbox mascot. Um, also, I was basing that off of a lot of the deconfirming I just mentioned. Like, they took out Crash. Sora wasn't happening. Like, there were so many characters that were deconfirmed. So, I'm still expecting when it happens, Master Chief. I think that would be so fucking awesome. Uh, is it possible? I don't know. Uh, a lot of people were like, oh, it's too brutal. I'm like, dude, in the reveal trailer for Ridley, he stabbed Luigi, I think, through the chest. He killed the man. And that was it. Anyway, let's get into my favorite question. JPAT93 asks, what is your least favorite thing about Carrick? <sighs> what is something I don't like about this guy? run a show with him every week does he do something every week that i'm like god carrick stop or oh you're so annoying hmm this may be the hardest question of the show even though it's my favorite i have an opportunity to scrap him right here right now i think i can't stand how carrick will lay down the lay down on the uh, just on the railroad tracks and and die for far cry primal insisting to this day that game was good actually unbelievable actually unreal that game's so bad and, and my guy my guy just loves it and i'm not saying that because he doesn't like battlefield hardline which i enjoyed the multiplayer for and he hated i'm just talking come on Carrick, wake up we also have another question from jpat 93 we actually have three Carrick based questions We're, let's go through them all right now number one Number two, rather, is do you think Carrick looks like he smells like cheese? No, I think actually Carrick looks like a good smelling man, you know, because he's a, it's a hairy guy, right? Like you see the hair on his arms. You can see the hair, obviously, on his face. Um, you can see a little hair popping out from the top of his shirt. Hairy guy. What I noticed is that he's never greasy. Takes good care of his beard. Takes good care of his body. You could tell um, he trains a lot. I think Carrick's like a normal smelling guy, right? Like, you know, some guys have like a tint of cologne or maybe they just smell like laundry detergent like their stuff was just pulled out of the uh out of the wash some dudes smell like ass you know some some dudes just don't know how to shower which or clean themselves which is why i was vying ladies and gentlemen for a sponsorship from manscaped i was trying so hard to get a sponsorship for our podcast um because i thought that'd be a great fit we, me and Carrick always joke about balls and flicking nuts and whatnot and i was like yo this, this company who by the way at one point did email me 
um, and did not respond when I responded, tweeted out about people who, who should, they, they should uh, contact for sponsorship. And a ton of my viewers were like, yo, this guy right here. Uh, I was surprised, though, that, that so many people were, were backing us up. But man, Carrick would have loved a Manscaped sponsorship because he's a clean guy. I'm sure he takes care of his nuts. We all take care of our nuts here, I hope. Um, and, and we'd like to spread that word. Anyway, last question about Carrick is how long do you think it takes for Carrick to tie his shoes? Yeah, I think Carrick wears boots. He just strikes me as a boots guy. I, I just, I can't see him being like me. Like I'm always in socks and I always wear slip-on shoes because I don't want to bother tying them. I know that's horribly lazy sounding. Carrick just strikes me as a boots guy. So I'm going to say like Carrick takes a good number of minutes. Like he has to set aside some time. It's like, a, you know how like sometimes the shoes are the last thing you do before you leave the house and you're up and out. I think like Carrick has to strategically plan a, a fraction of his morning or his day before he leaves to put on these boots. So that, that is my take on Carrick's uh, taking care of himself. All right. Let's move on down to Natural Calamity, who has three questions. Number one is, how do you see the Resident Evil franchise continuing? Or will Capcom make a trend of remaking the old games? I think Capcom's doing it right so far. A lot of what they've remade have been uh, games that are plagued from the past, like good games that Capcom should remake to do them justice. Uh, but it's also good for them in the terms of familiarity and sales. I mean, they're enjoying a renaissance, man. I mean, like, people love Devil May Cry. Resident Evil's doing great again. Um, I, I am curious what they do after 3, because I feel like the series needs, like, new, new ideas injected in it. I don't think Resident Evil 7 was supposed to be a Resident Evil game at first, but then they were like, oh, slap the title on there. It fits. Which it kind of did. Um, creepy game. Really good game, by the way. I loved Resident Evil 7. And I, oh, God, that, there were some moments there. Like, when you're in that crawl space and you turn around and you see the little girl's feet... Oh my lord. I, I do not like that type of stuff. Like I always say to people, the biggest thing for me in horror that freaks me out more than anything is like the smaller woman with long hair over their face and a white bloody dress and the game did it and I know it's kind of tropey at this point, but every time ugh, ugh, goosebumps and ugh, don't like it. Don't like it at all. So I want to see more ideas though injected into this franchise. Um I think they're going to stop at three because I don't think four needs a remake. If I'm Capcom, don't remake four now. Wait till you're in the shitter, then remake four. Because right then and there, people are going to buy it no matter what. It could suck and people will buy it and probably defend it. So that's my thoughts on how Capcom will do Resident Evil in the future. Question two, do you see Xbox taking the cake with their new Series X or uh, with doubling down on exclusives? Or do you see PlayStation taking two console generations? Uh, it's too early to say. It is definitely too early to say. Um, I want to know what PlayStation's doing first. I'll make this call probably at E3. What I think is going to, like everyone else, what I think will do best. So we'll see then. Pardon me. Last question that we have from the patrons is question number three. Do you think that the industry should move away from cinematic trailers and move towards showing gameplay more? Yes. I think the reason that we still see cinematic trailers is because they, I don't know how to word this without sounding like a douche. They sell people who aren't fully into gaming constantly. For us who are always into games, we like to see gameplay. Because at the end of the day, we don't need to be sold on an idea. We need to be sold on what we're playing. And it's not like someone else who's outside of gaming can't get invested in that. It's just that I think that CGI catches their eyes a little bit more. I, I think that's what happens personally. 
I look at something like Elder Scrolls Online elsewhere. That cinematic trailer was awesome and probably sold so many people on it. But I don't think the gameplay for an MMO can sell someone easily. It's a little janky, a little clunky. Um, Although I will say this, I believe the industry is getting to a point where eventually, I don't want to say it's going to be one for one, but I think we'll get to a point where cinematic trailers and gameplay trailers in the terms of cutscenes will start to blend and we'll start to see mixed trailers, cinematics and gameplay. And that may be a whole new conversation of people going, what's what, which is kind of cool, but kind of creepy because then you might see something that's awesome and realize it's actually not part of the gameplay, even though it kind of looked like it. Uh, So there is that too. I ultimately think gameplay is best because I think even someone who isn't into gaming as much, you can just show them the game. Like, here's what you're going to be playing. Um, But that's just me. I also think it's a waste of money. Like cinematic trailers probably cost a shit ton to make, right? Like, because most gameplay trailers are, here's clips of actual gameplay of things happening Here's a, 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 a beat of a story. I just, I don't know. I don't see how cinematic trailers provide that. I feel like cinematic trailers are filler for announcements. I feel like they sort of just state, um, here, this thing exists. And it's not ready to be shown what it actually is. I just think, I, I personally don't like them. There were a ton of them at the Game Awards. But sort of I got my rant out on cinematic trailers back at this year's E3. And it's pretty obvious this has been an awkward in-between year. The games have been good. Um, I have never really leapt to the point of saying great because I really liked a number of them. Like I loved Astral Chain. I loved The Outer Worlds. Um, I loved a lot of games this year, um, but not nearly as much as in previous years. I feel like this year I was let down in a number of ways. Uh, like Borderlands 3 disappointed the hell out of me. Pokemon Sword and Shield, so disappointing. Uh, Very stagnant, rather. Not disappointing, just very stagnant. Um, Just a really weird year for gaming for me in general. Um, So I'm looking forward to 2020 so much because it starts off with Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. I'm a diehard Dragon Ball Z fan, so like that's hype. Uh, We got Final Fantasy. uh, We got New Outer Worlds DLC. Cyberpunk. I mean, God, there's Ori coming out in in, uh, March. There's so much cool stuff happening, guys. Wastelanders expansion could be cool. It's going to be wild. That's the first three, four months. It just it just fills out from there. Anyway, those are all the patron questions we have. Um, the reason I want to wind down the conversation a little bit earlier than most episodes is, like I said, I already have a fully dedicated video on my channel to um, the Game Awards 2019 and how I kind of felt it drop the ball. And I feel like... Um, It's best just to leave that as is if you want more thoughts on how I feel about like individual moments. Because I point out some funny things in there like Taken or Jeff going like, oh, selfie, beautiful. You know, like just really sarcastic. So there's shit like that that I talk about that I I, I didn't talk about here today. I wanted to more so answer your questions, go in depth on the stuff that you guys found interesting um, for those who quickly do want to know, I found games like Weird West interesting. Um, I really liked, um, was it Blade Point? Not, oh my God. So, so many different names. That's the thing. I, I feel like after every one of these conferences, it's such a blur and that like five titles will stand out to me because there's just so many Magic's legend. Magic Legends looks awesome. I really like the idea of an MMO in a, a Magic the Gathering 
setting. Uh, but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it. I hope you enjoyed what I brought for you today. I apologize that it is just me. Um, I know you guys look forward to having Carrick and guests on, and, and hopefully next week uh, things pan out and uh, we can get back to our normal show because we do only have a couple of weeks left in the year. Um, what's next week? The yeah, Next week's the 20th, and um, we'll probably pre-record an episode or two uh, but then we'll probably be on a little bit of a break from the podcast because I will be away for uh, a bit of a holiday break. Wow, my holiday break's like a little more than a week away. That's crazy. Guys, I can't believe that. You guys have no idea. I'm so excited. I love what I do, but I'm tired. I'm very tired. I've definitely overworked myself these last couple of months uh, getting the studio set up and, and making sure I provide consistent content for you guys. Um and I'm not saying that as like I'm a martyr or anything. I'm just saying in general, like I'm just very excited to, to just not worry about working for a couple of weeks. Um, but anyway, show will continue on, of course. And I'm rambling at this point, as I always do. So I pass it to you all. I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys have to say about this solo show in the comments, as well as in the Discord and uh, maybe Twitter. Um, the hashtag for this week will be, where's Carrick? <laughs> Where is Carrick? <laughs> so if you got this to this point, let me know. Uh, tweet at me at G27Status. Once again, if you guys like the show and you want more, uh, maybe early access is your thing. A dollar can net you that and it supports the show. We actually hit a new high for the Patreon um, in the terms of actual number of patrons. Like we have almost 200. We've never hit that before. Even when I uh, made a video about demonetization hitting my channel hard and we hit about $1,000 a month on the Patreon, we had much less patrons then. And uh, I can't tell you guys how much it means that how many of you believe in what we're doing here on the show and what believe what I'm doing on my channel to support me in that manner. There's so many subscriptions and things to spend money on, especially in the holidays. I'm honored that you've chosen my platform to support, even if it's in the, the smallest ways, being a like, a comment, or you want to go that mile and, 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 and flick a buck means the world. So thank you guys so much for believing what I do. And I'll catch you guys next week along with hopefully Carrick and the others in episode 233. Peace out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.